uh, be reading and studying through Psalm 21. But today, uh, if you follow the liturgical calendar, uh, you know that today is um, Palm Sunday. And um, we know that's the day when Jesus, um, the Bible refers to it as a triumphal entry. Uh, it begins what we also refer to in the liturgical calendar as the Holy Week. Um, and uh, that means next Sunday is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Yes. And so um, looking forward to that and um, being able to be here and um, have you guys in worship together. And so um, this week I want to start off by reading to you um, that event recorded. It's recorded in each one of the gospel accounts, but uh, I want to read from Matthew's account to you this morning as we kind of prepare our hearts leading up to this week and um, on into Resurrection Sunday. And so uh, if you want, while you're turning to Psalm 21, I'll read uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, it says, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set, them on, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds, Lord, for this week and for this morning, as we look forward to that time of remembrance where we um, celebrate our life in you, our new life in you, the fact, God, that we've been born again through our faith in your son Jesus who came and gave his life for us, who died upon the cross, and who rose again from the grave. Father, we look forward with hopeful expectation to your return as we remember, God, that, that as you ascended into heaven, the angel said that in the same way that you left, you would come back. And Father, you tell us there's a day coming that in the sound, with the sound of the trumpet, and in the twinkling of an eye, that we who are in you, God, we who love you and have put our faith in you will be caught up together to be with you forevermore. 
Lord, we're grateful for the rebirth that you've given us. We're grateful, God, for our own resurrection that lies ahead, that is secure because of your resurrection, because of your victory over sin and death. And Lord, this morning we cry out as well, Hosanna, Lord, to you, our King, our Lord, our Savior. So Father, as we prepare ourselves to study through Psalm 21 this morning and looking forward to um, Easter and looking back upon um, how you rode in humbly, giving your life, um, even, even as a king, Lord, giving your life, Lord, knowing that you ask that of us, that if we are to follow you or to give up our life or to lay down our life, Lord, but in doing so, we receive life. Help us to do that on a day-to-day basis, Father, that we, would, that we would live for you and die to self. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Uh, Psalm 21, if you want to join me there, I'm going to read this now as well. Um, It's 13 verses, not very long, Um, and then we'll jump into it. So it says, to the chief musician, also a psalm of David, verse 1. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you met him with the blessing of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. The length, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation, honor, and majesty you have placed on, upon him. You have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Um, I love that. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Guys, if, 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 if we're looking externally for this kind of gladness that the Bible um, describes here, we're missing it. And even though I want to point out now that David had experienced a great victory and he's speaking about God's blessing and God's provision, ultimately what David does is he brings it to the place of where we all need to come to, where we all need to remember, is that that true joy, true gladness is found in God's presence. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For verse 7, the king trusts in the Lord... And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Verse six, your, or verse eight, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. I love that also. Um, well, I, I love this psalm. I love God's word. But I, I love this, this, that verse because, man, I look around when we understand that what we're really talking about in this psalm is, again, the battle against sin and evil and, and we look at we look at is it right as it's, we're told in the um, in the book of Isaiah that we're living in a time when when people are calling when the world where so many people are calling good evil right 
and, and, and evil good. And, and we, we see that going on. We see people devising plans, right? Coming against the truth, coming against the plans of God, coming against the people of God. You know, we read about it every day. Thank God that that, that pastor in Canada who was arrested for continuing to have church, he was released this last week. Amen. But there's still battles going on, and we know that, and we fight battles against our own sin in our own flesh. Uh, our heart devises wickedness, and, and, but we see it going on all over the world as the enemy is the ruler of this world for a time. We know that Jesus defeated him, and, 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 but ultimately what we see is this, is they say they devise a plot which they are not able to perform because we know the end. We know the end that, that God is sovereign and he's in control and he's got a greater plan and a greater purpose and he's working all things together for good. So evil will not prevail. And so therefore, verse 12, you will make them turn their back. <laughs> They'll go away in disgrace, in other words. You will make ready your arrows on your string towards their faces, literally as they retreat, as they run so thir verse 13, be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Amen. Now, I think, it, I think we all know what it's like, undoubtedly, I think we all know what it's like to come to God with a request for help in a time of need, right? We talked about when we were reading this last week's psalm that it, 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 we face these days of trouble, a time of trouble. And so we've come to God in the, in, in the time of need when we've been facing um, troubling or difficult situations, and that, that could be accurate to what's going on right now with you individually, personally, some of the things that you're facing. And you're crying out to God. But in doing so, we all can know that we've, we've, we've cried out to God in these times, and then we all likely have seen um, God answer our prayers, right? In, in a mighty way. In, in even in miraculous ways by, by working things out in such a way that our fears and our anxieties were replaced with this relief, with, with joy, and, and with gratitude, for what God has done by answering our prayers. And because of God's intercession, right, having, having prayed to God, having him answered our prayers and, and showed up in a mighty way, and because of this, we respond, right, with praise and thanks for the things that God was faithful to do. And we may have even in that moment told someone else, can you believe what God has done? I was in this situation. I was praying about it. Maybe you'd even invited them to pray with you. And then you share that joy and that excitement when you have that, that, that prayer answered as we're giving thanks for the things that God was faithful to do and then telling other people about the awesome things that he's done. In fact, if you're like me, you may have even made a deal with God in your prayer process. God, if you do this, I will do that, right? And, and, and not that that's a way of motivating God. God doesn't move by our, by our promises with him, but, but he does call us to honor our vows and our promises when we make them. And even, even some of the simple promises where we go, God, if you, if you, if you do this, I'll tell the world about you. I'll, I'll let people know. And we say that, that um, if he hears us, if he answers our prayers, then we would proclaim his praises and we'll tell people about the awesome work that he's done for us. And I mention this because as you, re as you reflect on what I read, 
in this psalm, it, it appears that this is exactly what's going on in Psalm 21. As, as there's praise being offered up to God in this psalm by David and, 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 and by the people of Israel, more than likely, uh, we'll talk about it, maybe it's uh, the army, maybe it's the soldiers that had gone into battle with him. But it, it, it appears that their response is um, likely a promised response. That's what we're seeing here. A promised response to the victory that they had prayed for and had received, and I think it's connected to the previous psalm in Psalm 20. If you remember back in Psalm 20, as we studied through it last week, David and the people had specifically prayed for God to answer him in his day of trouble. He asked for God to defend him, to strengthen him, to save him and his people. And then David said that they would in turn, that he said, we will in turn put our trust in you, God, not, and not in horses, not in chariots, and that upon their deliverance that they would then publicly rejoice in God's salvation. How? By placing the name of God on their banners, right? Do you have a banner? Are you swinging the name of God above your home, above your life, in your workplace as you, as you, as you respond to the, the joy that you receive as a result of God interceding and working in your life? That's what we're seeing. And even though this psalm is not the, even, even if, okay, so, so even if it's not a direct response to the answered prayers in Psalm 20, um, I think it is, um, but even if it's not, it's clear that this, this is a song of praise, right? It's a song of praise. It's a song of rejoicing over the blessing and over the salvation that God had granted David and the Hebrew people in their time of need. And it begins with praise for God's strength, look in verse 1, and it ends or closes in verse 13 with the same praise for God's strength, the strength of God that had granted the king and his people what they needed in their, in their, in their time of need. But whatever the historical reason is for the psalm, what it does is it teaches us this. It teaches us that whenever God answers our prayers, we ought to be joyful, right? We ought to joyfully acknowledge what God has done and publicly proclaim the work that he has done with our praises to this world that we live in. Think about it to people that don't even pray to God, that, God, that they don't hear God speaking to them. You go to your workplace and you say, guess what? I was talking to God and he was talking to me. First of all, they're going to look at you like, what? Yeah, I was talking to God, and he was talking to me, and you know that thing that I was going through? Because we share our lives with people. I prayed to him, and I had some people praying with me, and, and this is what happened. God answered my prayers. It'll blow people's minds, but it's real. And, and, and we're called to do that, I think, as a result of what this psalm says to us. And so once again, let's look back. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and, and we're, going to, we're going to divide this psalm into three sections. But in verse 1 it says, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice? You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you met, him, met with him the blessing of goodness. I mean, you guys are reading this with me, and it's like, yeah, I want some of that. You know, you said a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, 
forever and ever. Again, this is a picture of, of what the Bible tells us, that God, when we call out to him, not only does he answer our prayers, guys, but he does so exceedingly and more abundantly than what we could ever hope for or imagine. That's what David said. I asked for this, and you did that. So much more, so much greater. His glory, he says, David, his glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him, for you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now, as we go back through this psalm, like I said just a minute ago, it's best to divide it up really into three categories. And these three categories that we see in this psalm as points of division are, are, are in regards to different, the different directions that David was looking as he offered his praise and his thanks to God. So you're like, what do you mean? the direction that he was looking. In other words, in these first verses, in these first seven verses, we see that David, the king, right? He was first looking back. He was reflecting. Who here is a prayer journal, right? In that prayer journal, you, you do a few things. You, you, you're writing down on a daily basis probably some prayer requests, some things that God's speaking to you and you're in the moment, but in the pages that are Previous to what you're writing now, you, you can go back and what do you do? You look over those things that you had, had called out to God, the things that God had spoken to you. You're looking back. You're reflecting and hopefully what you're doing is going, oh yeah, God answered that prayer in this time and we remember and we look back upon those. For me, I, I don't have a prayer journal. I have old Bibles that, I, that I've had and I keep them, and, 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 and I, there's times that I go back and I remember what God's spoken promises to me or I've prayed and I've written things down and God's, God's spoken to me through his word in that time and I love to go back through those old Bibles and, and remember as I've written down in there what was requested, what was going on, and it's just little notes to help me remember, but then know that God answered those prayers. It's, it's a really encouraging thing. And so David is doing that in the psalm. He's first looking back upon the things that God had done, and he was in turn giving thanks for, for the answering of the prayer request that had been previously made, okay? Then in, in the verses that follow, in verses 8 through 12, we have the second division, and we see that David is also looking ahead. And the wordage in here is very specific because he says, God will do, God shall do. And what David is looking forward to, what he's looking ahead, is to what God will still yet do because of his promises that he has made to David. So he's looking back, he's reflecting, and he's having praise and glory, and he's looking ahead, and then ultimately at the end in verse 13, we said in addition to looking back and looking ahead, that David's also looking up, right? He's looking upward. And his, his eyes and his praise is ultimately directed towards the Lord, who David says here is exalted, Exalted. And even that word gives this this idea of the direction that David's looking, right? The exalted the one, the one who is high and lifted up. And so in these first seven verses, we see that as David is looking back, he's very specifically recounting answered prayer. Okay? And these these answered prayers are some of the reasons for why Psalm 21 appears, in my opinion, to be connected to Psalm 20. And again, it's just my opinion, but 
but I think it's a basis that, that can't be denied. And so in, look, in Psalm 20, verse 4, if you remember, the people, as David recorded this, had prayed on his behalf saying, may God grant you according to your heart's desire, right? And then here in, verse, in Psalm 21, verse 2, David writes and says what? He says, you have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Also in verse 1 of Psalm 20, the people had prayed, it says, in the day of trouble. And they asked for God to defend, to lift David up a bend of his enemies, to save him. And now in Psalm 21, first in verse 1, and then again in verse 5, what we see is that David told of receiving God's salvation. And this is what he is now rejoicing in. And David went on to say in verse 5 that he was rejoicing in God's salvation because it had given him, it had brought to him glory and honor and majesty, presumably in the eyes of his defeated enemies, right? And the word that is used for salvation that David spoke of in both of these verses, in verse 1 and in verse 5, is the Hebrew word Yahshua. Very familiar word, right? And it literally means deliverance and victory by God. And the point of detailing all of this looking back, okay, it's just not that David said, I remembered what God did when I prayed. David said, I'm looking back and this is what I prayed for and this is how God answered it. It's a detailed accounting of it. And the point of detailing all this, looking back upon what God had done for David by giving him his heart's desire is so that we might take note of ultimately David's joy, right? That's the focal thing here, is how that made David feel, what that brought forth in his heart and his mind, his joy, and ultimately his response of gratitude for God's answered prayer. And we see that answered prayer needs to, because of this, we see that answered prayer needs to have a special place in the life of every believer. Right, I love the psalmist who says, man, if I had not seen your hand working in this world that I'm living in, in my life, I'd lost hope. You know, to account, all throughout the Old Testament, we're told that when, when the children of Israel seen God do an amazing, awesome thing, God said, make a memorial. Why? So that anybody came by later on, future generations, you could look back and speak of God's greatness to them. And you too could be reminded this looking back with great detail is so important. And again, answered prayer, guys, needs to have a special place in, in the life of every believer. If you don't journal, that's fine. But somehow, in some way, beyond just the reliance of our own feeble minds that have a hard time even remembering where we placed the keys yesterday, needs to account and document these things, if not just for your own sake, but for future generations that'll come after you, that'll read your kids, your grandkids, that go, man, my granddad, my dad, my mom, my grandma knew the Lord, and this is how he worked in their lives. Answered prayer. Here's, here's the reason... It's good for us to count and regularly reflect on these answered prayers and these past victories that God has given us because they encourage, right? They encourage us. And they build up our faith. And that's something that we all regularly need. It reminds us of God's faithfulness and it's makes, it makes us realize, it causes us to realize that if God has showed up to meet our needs 
in the past, then he will show up and do it again today, right? Furthermore, our testimonies of praise that detail what, uh, what God has done for us is an encouragement to others. Even the unbeliever, when we speak to them and we appear to be out of our minds, they may go, well, maybe I should try that too because I got stuff going on in my life. And they're encouraged. And every Christian should know what it feels like to have God answer our prayers. But listen, if we're not experiencing the joy, even if it's for a season, if we're not experiencing the joy and blessing of God answering our prayers, then we should be asking ourselves why, right? That's one of the things that I come to in this psalm. And truthfully, there have been times in my life, seasons in my life, where I'm like, God, you're not hearing me. It's like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling of, of my house. Here's the reason why we should ask why. Because God's word makes it clear that there are reasons for why we may not be experiencing answered prayer. And as best as I can discern, there's three main reasons when I look at scripture. Number one, it can be because we're not praying. God's word says, you have not because you ask not. And, and, and we, all, we all do this some de- to some degree. We think like, Oh, you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that, you know, and it's like, oh, maybe I should stop and pray. And that's like the first thing that we should do. But in our humanness, in our weakness, we, we exhaust our own resources, right? We think we can handle it on our own. But the Bible says one of the reasons for why we may not be experiencing answered prayer and the joy that comes along with that is because we're just simply not praying, The other thing that the Bible says is that we could be praying wrongly. And I'll get into that in just a minute. We could be praying wrongly. Or the Bible also says that there is some type or kind of hindrance in our prayer, in our prayer life. And so unanswered prayer should be regarded as a warning signal. And, and that there may be some problem in what I have found throughout Scripture is 10 biblical reasons for why our prayers may not or might not be being answered. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'll try to go through this slowly. I know I usually go through quickly and everybody afterwards will be like, I got the first one, but what about the other nine? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, John chapter 15, verse 7. I'm not going to read these. You can go back and read them for yourself. But the first hindrance in regards to unanswered prayer, Jesus says in John 15, verse 7, it says, because we are not abiding in him. Right? It's because we're not abiding in him. Go read that passage and see what that really looks like and what that means. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, um, we're told that um, unbelief can be a hindrance to our prayer life. It may be the reason why we are not experiencing answered prayer. Unbelief. In the same chapter, just following Matthew 17, verse 21, it also tells us, because this is, this is like the, the disciples' bad example for us of what not to do. Go and, go and read that. You know, 
Jesus on the mountain, he comes down, there's things that they weren't able to do, and, and Jesus uses his favorite pet, ni- pet name for his disciples, O ye of little faith, right? <laughs> but also, we read in that chapter that at times, a hindrance to our prayers can be a failure to fast. Fasting. Denying your flesh. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the fourth reason, verse 7, um, Peter writes, and he, he's speaking to husbands specifically, and, and it says that men, that it's, uh, there can be a hindrance in our prayer life when we are not honoring our wives, right? We're not being the husbands that God's called us to be. And so it's, I see it as this. It's like we call out to our Father in heaven, and he's all, he's all listen, we're not talking about this until you deal with this, Right? Be the husband that, that I've called you to be. That's my daughter. Take care of her the way I want you to. I'm her father. And so, so that could be a reason. In James chapter 4, there's great instruction in James in regards to prayer. But in verse 2, it says, again, it says there where I quoted earlier, it's because we're not asking. In James chapter 4, verse 3, it says that we're Public, or that we're praying selfishly, right? That we're, that we're asking amiss so that we may bless ourselves. That's kind of the, the, the gist there in James 4, 3. The seventh one in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And, and granted, this is not an exhaustive list, but I think this is a good basis for what I can come up with here. But um, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse or chapter 3, verse 22, it specifically says that disobedience can hinder our prayer life. Disobedience. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, the eighth thing, in verses 14 through 15, it, it says, because we're not praying in accordance to God's will. And why would we want that anyway, right? But we do. We come to God in, in like perhaps selfish children and like god i want this and god i want that and god's all that's not good for you i'm not answering that i'm not giving you your request because god is being a good father he's not going to give us anything that's going to harm us right and so david here you know both the request is to give david the desires of his heart and then in psalm 22 david says and you've given him the desires of his heart but we know that in preparation to that it speaks about the offerings and sacrifice where david was going to god and making himself right before god laying himself humbly before god and going god what is your will that's what i want and that's the same idea we should expect to not experience answered prayer if we're not praying accordance to god's will um, in, in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says that it's because we have unconfessed sin in our lives, guys. Hidden sin. Unconfessed sin. In James chapter 4, verse 6, both there and in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and there are other places as well, but really I think at the root of this, as it's defined as another reason biblically for why, it says that it's because of our pride. Pride gets in the way pride but listen even you know i'm one of these guys that i like lists i do it's like okay check it off you know and i'm like good i'm got it it's good but this is not some kind of magical formula for getting god to do what you want him to do 
in your prayer life. Understand that. And in light of this, I want to point out that avoidance of these things does not somehow earn or merit God's response. Okay? God's sovereign. He is God. We are not. This, is, this list here is not somehow like, okay, I got them all down. Now, God, you got to do what I, what I ask for. That's not it. He's not in debt to us if we avoid these things. But the point is, is that they clearly are hindrances to an unanswered prayer life or to our unanswered prayers. And because then we miss out on the blessing of the joy and, and, and the, the relationship of having been in God's presence that David speaks about here as we've gone to him and he's spoken to us and he's made himself known through the answering of our prayers, it's clear that we should be checking our hearts and our lives and not allow for these things to stand in the way of what David's writing about here, right? Right. So as David is looking back upon the things that God had done, he said here in verse 3, right, that God had met him with the blessings of goodness. And he even compared the blessings of God's goodness to the setting of this pure crown of gold on his head. And I read a lot of commentators that said that th this may be speaking to a specific battle that David was in with the Amorites. And when the Amorite king was taken, they took this big old crown of gold and gave it to David. And, 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 and I don't think that's what this is referring to. I don't think it's referring to a specific instance. I think it's speaking to um, more of David's crowning of already being king. Um, and what I think is this, I think this means that the victory that he was given in this battle was such a sweet thing. He said it was, he felt like it was a second coronation. It was an affirmation, right? Because it reassured David that he was God's chosen king, the anointed one, the one whom God had called. It was like the crown being put upon his head again where David was anointed with oil, and how God had met with him. And it was this affirmation that, that God was for him, that God was with him, not only as an individual, but in the call that was upon his life. But the thing to note in this verse is the fact that David had spoke how God had met with him, right? How God had met with him. And, and I love that because the Hebrew word that is used here is the word kadam. And it's interesting because it means, in, in a true sense, to see it beforehand. God had met with him. He had seen it beforehand, right? And in our lives, that's such an encouragement with our prayer life because we don't get to see beforehand, but yet God's already there. And he says, he's, we call out to him, he's all, he's all I'm going to meet you there. I, we're here, but we're gonna, I'm going to meet you there in that moment, in that time. I like the way that the NIV translates this word because it says in the NIV, NIV translation, maybe some of you, you have that, but he says that God had welcomed him. God had met him. God had kadam with him. God had welcomed him, meaning where in this situation? To the battlefield. God's saying, come on. We got good things. Come on. He welcomed him to the battlefield, and more importantly, to the victory. God welcomed him to the victory. And God meets with us in the same way. He's all, come on, let's go. In other words, as David was looking back, okay, and this is the key thing, because we don't always see it in the moment, do we? We don't. We always say it, right? Hindsight is 2020. And it's like, man, I look back and I saw God's hand 
after the fact. And that's what David's doing. He's looking back, and he could now see how God had gone before him into the battle to ensure his safety, to ensure his victory. And the point is, is God is always seeing two, two things beforehand for us. And he meets us in these places. He meets us in these places where, where we find ourselves calling out for God's salvation, for God's intervention. But we usually, guys, is it not true? We usually don't see how the hand of God was working on our behalf until we're on the other side of things, right? And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to, to be looking back. You know, I've experienced times like this in my own life where I've, and I've heard many other people tell of times like this as well, times when things were very dark, times when things were so uncertain. But when they came out on the other side of these times and they could then see, they could look back and see all the ways that God had been with them and how he had been taking care of them even when they, they didn't realize it in the moment that God had welcomed in them into that space. You can't welcome someone to that unless you're not there already, right? You can't meet with somebody unless you're already there. And God says, I'm here. Come on. And the fact of the matter is that, that knowing that God goes before us down these roads in these times of uncertainty, I don't know about you, but this is incredibly encouraging for me today. Now at the end of this first section in verse 7, David declared right, that he trusted in the Lord and that through the mercy, right, not because of his merit, right, David said, you did this because I deserved it. No, he said, because of your mercy, because of the mercy of God, he said, I will not be moved. Literally, that he would not be shaken by his enemies because his faith was in God. In other words, David's faith in God came as a result of looking back. Looking back and seeing what God had done. And the point is that our faith, our faith in God is not to be a blind faith. Over and over again, and we need to remind ourselves that. The faith that we have is not a blind faith. It's not to be a blind faith. It's to be builded upon, it's to be, be founded upon and built upon our past experiences with God. And when we look back like David did and recall those times when God had saved us, when God did save us and continued to save us, when he has crowned us, as David said, with the blessings of goodness and when he has met with us and took care of the things that we did not even know about then we too will have this kind of confidence in God that David is speaking of in the, in the verses that follow. So, so looking back upon what God has done is important, but in this next section, verses 8 through 12, we also see that our praise of God is also manifested in our lives when we look ahead to what God will do. There's assurance in the wordage that David uses here. Listen, in verse 8 he says, Your hand will find all of your enemies. Your hand will will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a time, or in the time of your, you shall make them as a fiery oven in the, in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them, and their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended, here's the word, evil against you, for they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. 
You will, again, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string towards their face. And so, so even though, now even though David is the author of this entire psalm, when we look at the flow of things as the psalm it written, as it's written, it appears that, that, that David, that in the first section, that it was, it was something that was um, written for David to sing. Right, the king would sing this, and then the second part, as we look at the construct of it, of this section, we see that it's probably a con- congregational um, response, and that's how a lot of the psalms were used in the congregational setting there at the temple or the tabernacle, as the as the chief musician would lead people in the praise of worship of God. There would be a, 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 a someone speaking and singing out, and then there would be a response. It would be responsive, but clearly these verses. Um, as we see them, um, they're in the third person, and I, I believe that what this response was initially tended for was those soldiers who had been there in battle with them, these guys that had seen these things happen for themselves. And, and the first thing to notice in light of these verses is that just like David trusted in God, so did the people. That's what we see here. They had the same response. They trusted in God. And they affirmed their faith as they addressed these words to the king and now looked ahead, right? To what God would do through the hand of their king. And this is the great thing about looking back to what God has done because it gives us this confidence that we need, this faith that we need to trust and look ahead with expectancy for what God has said he will do. But it's important to point out that this looking ahead with the hopeful expectation of God's blessing and provision and protection at this time wasn't because there was no more signs of adversity that could be seen in the future, right? Sometimes we get through with a battle and, 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 and we're like, yeah, smooth sailing from here. Praise God. Blue skies, smooth waters, you know? And, and how often does that ever happen? Is that, but is that where this joy and peace and praise is, is founded or rooted in or even promised in the future. It's not. These guys have that, and as they're looking ahead, they see future battles, future struggles. And, and, and they're looking ahead with hopeful expectation, and here we see that it was done that, that it was done even though there was, it was, even though it was clear that there were other adversaries to faith face other battles that would still have to be fought. We were kind of talking about this in our home group because when you look about the land, the promised land being dispersed among the children of Israel, you have Caleb, right? And God said there was a special, that Caleb had a special inheritance for him because he'd gone into the promised land with Joshua as one of the, earlier on, as one of the 10 spies. And they were the only two that came back and were like, yeah, let's get them. There's giants, no big deal. And everybody else was like, no, there's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers before them. They'll crush us. And the people got fearful, and we know. But God honored Joshua, and he honored Caleb. Caleb was an old dude at that time when the land was when the land had been battled for after they wandered through the wilderness and then went in. And, and, and so Joshua's all, Caleb, what, what part do you want? There's this really nice green area over here, and there's no enemies, and you're an old dude. I'm paraphrasing. He goes, you can have this. And you know what Caleb said? He's all, that's not what I want. You know that mountainous area that's full of all of these, these enemies of the Lord? He says, he says, I want that. I want that. 
because in that, God will show himself to still be with me, and before I die, that's what I want. Caleb wanted the battle because he knew the victory was the Lord's. And that's what I sense in these guys. They're like, woo, God was just with us. You know, we just handed it to him. Praise the Lord. And there's still things to come, and, and we're going for it, guys. It's not a doom and gloom thing just because there's still struggles to be had. Because there's a victory in those moments. There's a working of God's hand laying there in the future that we've yet, yet, not yet been able to partake of to meet God in that place. And so, again, their joy and praise was possible because they could look back and see God's past faithfulness and remember God's promises as they now looked forward with even a greater faith, right? And in light of these verses, it's pretty apparent that what's being described is this future judgment and ultimately the destruction of all of Israel's enemies, those who would dare to come against David and his men. But we should be aware that the core of this looking ahead, we are hearing ultimately a declaration of faith, are we not? As they are really speaking about the prosperity of the nation of Israel and how God would ultimately be the one to preserve them. And this is what God had promised to do when he initially made the covenant with Abraham all of those years beforehand that they're now also standing upon. And we know that it was reaffirmed to God's people at Mount Sinai when he made another covenant with them, reaffirmed the covenant with them through Moses and gave him his law at that time. Furthermore, these promises to prosper them, to preserve them, that had been affirmed to the nation many other times throughout the nation's history is what they were standing upon. And as we look into our, into our world that we live in today, the modern world that we live in today, we see that God has continued to be faithful to his people down through time, to the Hebrew people, to the nation, to prosper them, to preserve them by keeping his promises to them, promises that we are now a part of as we've been grafted into them as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that this was ultimately proven in the day that we live in when Israel once again brought back into the promised land and reestablished as a nation on May 14, 1948. Modern-day evidence of God's faithfulness to his promises. But even more so, we know that, that God gave them this miraculous victory, the nation of Israel, on that very next day, May 15, 1948, when five neighboring Arab armies invaded and attacked Israel upon its birth, its rebirth. And, and they were defeated. And the point is, is that God did give David many victories when he was king, and God continues to, pros- to, to prosper, and God continues to preserve his people today. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, not even the gates of hell would be able to prevail against us, his church, his people. So Jew and Gentile alike, we can expectantly look forward by faith to what God will do. And we can give him all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, not because of what he has done, not just because of what he has done, but also because of the fact that God is faithful to do what he has promised to do. Remember, we who are Christians of God, children of God, we don't live on, we don't, we, we don't live on, um, let me put it this way. We live on the promises of God, not the explanations, right? It's the promises of God. And we have good reason because of the promises of God to look forward and be reminded that God has given us a future and a hope, like it says in the book of Jeremiah. 
And to remember that our hope and our future, or excuse me, that our hope is future-directed. It's what connects us to our inheritance in heaven. And in light of this, there is no greater reason to praise our God, right? And so in verse 13, David says at the end of this, Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. And I love that because really, how can, how can we, I mean, we can worship God and with our words exalt Him, but He is the exalted one. He's exalted because He exalts Himself. And we acknowledge that and we recognize that, but David makes a very clear point. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength, and we will sing praises, sing and praise your power. And so looking back on what God has done and looking forward to what God has promised to do will ultimately bring us to this place where we are looking up, right? And if not, then something's wrong. Because if we're not looking up to God, we're usually looking at ourselves, And that's the distinction that's being made here. It's not look back and look forward and then look upon yourself and have others look at you too. It ultimately brings us to the place, or it should, where we're looking up to God and then giving him the glory and the praise that he alone deserves for what he's done in our lives. And in this last verse, this is what is being done with this cry for the Lord to be exalted. And when we read this, we see that David is recognizing that the Lord is the one who exalts himself. We're not the ones who exalt God. We simply look up to the exalted one and recognize who God is. And in doing so, worship him by singing and praising his power, his love, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his greatness. The worship team wants to come up, we'll end with this. The point of this is to say that, yeah, David fought battles. He did, and he won victories, just like God had promised. But he did not do these things to exalt himself. He did these things but to bring glory to the Lord. And his people knew this because the Lord is who, the, is who David humbly gave credit to. And I think David did that all of his life. I remember thinking back to 1 Samuel and David as a young man, you know, went before the armies of the Lord with five smooth stones and a sling in his hand to take out the giant Goliath giving credit and glory to God even before the battle even started. And I love that because as a young man, after he chopped off Goliath's head, you know what it says in Scripture? It's a, a, usually an overlooked point. Is David packed around Goliath's head for a long time. It's true, it's in there, but you know why he did that? He'd be like, he'd be like look at what God's done. <laughs> you know? Guys, what... what what giant's heads do you have that you're packing around, that you're going, look what God's done in my life. This thing thought that it had me, but I'm telling you what, God met me, and this is what happened. So in our lives, guys, we need to be sure that God is the one who is exalted, the one who we're looking up to, and the one who we're directing others to look to as we fight the battles and win the victories that the Lord has given us. Father, thank you, God, for this encouraging word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. As we worship you today, God, 
with this last song. I pray, Lord, that we would praise you and worship you from a heart of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.